Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's official, Kieran. It's kicked off. We've had the first game of the world's most unpopular World Cup ever, and Brighton and Hove Albion beat Qatar 2-0. Could have been 5 or 6. You must have been very proud of your quinoa-eating Brighton contingent there, Kieran, taking part in the World Cup. I was. And, And to make it truly authentic half the crowd left with good more than 10 minutes to go so the players really would have felt at home <laughs> yet another reason why it shouldn't be there Kieran all this talk of it, it's it's a football mad country gone half time left just ludicrous first game of the tournament that they've waited 12 years for this football mad country it's just I, and, never- and the prices for the first match are the highest, apart from the final as well. So, you know, it's not as if you're uh, you're, you're dipping out of something which you'll, uh, you know, isn't you're going to find down the back of a sofa. Well, I think to be honest, Kieran, some of the people there probably could afford to walk <laughs> yes. out. To be perfectly honest, uh, I've never known a tournament, Kieran. So many people want to start just so they can get it out of the way. But I, I, I will be watching the matches. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I've spent the last twelve years discussing why I. think I am disgusted that the tournament is being held in Qatar. But not watching the games, I can't see helps anybody, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, no, I I absolutely... We want want our teams to do well. Although, I must confess, there's a bit of a conflict in the Maguire household Uh because I have a wife who is born in Edinburgh Uh and also she picked out Iran in our sweep. We thought we should do with all the uh, all my mates. So she's, you know, I, 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 there, there could there could be issues tomorrow when we're watching the match. There could be, but again, Kieran, both of you can afford to lose the sweep, can't you? <laughs> yes, I, guess I, so. I don't think I don't think the mortgage payment in the, in the Maguire household is is hanging on whether or not you win the sweep. You you did say it's with mates because I just for a moment now I thought it might just be a sweep that you and the Baroness have. No, 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 no. It's my. It's uh, one of my many WhatsApp groups. But uh, oh, yeah, this is this is with a bunch of reprobates who I who I've known for a long time. As as as, as all the best WhatsApp groups are, of course. Indeed. Who who did the Prowler pick out? Uh, no, the, the Prowler's not in this one. The Prowler, oh, okay. Prowler the, the Prowler just prowls. That's uh, <laughs> that's as far as he goes. Oh, he's, he's too busy prowling to even pick that's out a two right. minute sweepstake. Um, amongst the very many people not happy with this uh, World Cup, Kieran will be Budweiser. 
with the events of the last two days, um, their $75 million sponsorship seems to have uh, been dissipated somewhat. Well, I'm not so certain about that because, let's face it, Qatar was never going to be a big export market for Budweiser. So, so, so they wouldn't have been selling a huge amount of things. And um, you know, if if I say uh, Wonder Group, that they are a senior sponsor of the FIFA 22 World Cup. Well, I've never, I've not heard of them. Uh, apparently, Hyundai, Kia are also doing it. Um, as are uh, you know a, a few other companies, Qatar Energy, uh, Qatar Airways. That come with great surprise. Um, so, Budweiser have got global publicity in terms of what's happened yes they'll be a bit hacked off in the sense that um you know that they're, they're i mean the people I actually feel sorry for is 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 the people at budweiser have gone to all the trouble of getting the merchandise there getting the inventories there uh going through their marketing campaigns uh, that was going to be taking place uh, in and around the stadium and now everything's been shuffled back but you'll still be able to go and buy Beers in in the uh, in in the fan stadiums, so in in the fan uh, fan areas. So it's just in the stadium itself, and the amount of attention this story has got, I think, is actually probably worth more than the loss in sales. Yeah, they put the numbers into a spreadsheet and talk to some of my my chums in the world of marketing and advertising, and they say, "Oh, Budweiser will be grinning from ear to ear on the back of this." Oh, am I smelling a conspiracy theory here, Kieran? <laughs> no, no, no. I, th- I think they'll be gen- genuinely be delighted. I mean, that the 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 Qatari authorities, you know, because of the, the the nature of the government structure, there is it it tends to be uh, government by decree, uh, decisions by decree. So, therefore, sort of, you know, so perhaps the longer chain of uh, communication negotiation doesn't necessarily take place. Um, it, it did come as a shock to everybody. Uh, FIFA have been trying to make out that this is uh, something they were aware of for, for a longer period of time, and, and all is good. But uh, if, if I was Budweiser, uh, you know, given yeah, how, how many people, um, how many people were going to go and pay uh, eleven pounds sixty for a pint in the first place? Well, if I was there, I'd find the money somewhere. It's it's, it's a long <laughs> it's Budweiser. Well, it's a long even well. I know. Even I know from. You know, it's uh, it's it's the it's by all accounts it's the equivalent of Duff in in uh, in The Simpsons. <laughs> well, needs must when the devil drives, Kieran. Um, I'll take your word for it. In in the absence of a fine white wine, um, uh, it's a shame this is a football finance pod, Kieran. We will get onto questions in just a moment because I I couldn't find any football finance way of crowbarring in Gianni Infantino's ludicrous, bizarre speech yesterday, in which he claimed to be gay and a migrant worker. Um, and the Qatari and all sorts of other things that he's not. It had the feel of a hostage speech. You half expected him to hold up a newspaper with today's date on it to show that it was actually being done there. And, you know, I, part of me feels sorry, Kieran, that he, he was teased a little bit for having red hair and freckles when he was a, a young man, but there's no real equivalence to being threatened with jail for loving somebody of the same sex to being teased for having red hair. So we'll leave that where it is. Um, I, again, I, uh, we could be doing this pod for the next 10 years. Infantino will still be the head of FIFA, which is all you need to know. Now, it's questions those well, well, before actually, that there is some other Infantino news ooh, ooh, yes. in that he 
is uh, he is being re-elected as president of FIFA. Mm-hmm. Um, you're only allowed to uh, hold hold the position for 12 years. That he's been unopposed, mm-hmm. uh, even though the likes of Germany and, and I think some other countries were going to say that they weren't going to vote for him. Um, you're only allowed to have three terms of four years. You only had to hold hold the role for uh, for 12 years. And and this is sort of you know proper Machiavellian stuff. The first three years don't count towards his twelve years. What? Um, yes, that's that's because because he took over from Set Blatter in midterm. Uh, he said, "Oh, they say oh, no, that that doesn't count. You, you were you were you were just you were just uh, sitting in on the job, um, and therefore, yeah, he, he think he could be here till I think twenty twenty nine. Which I, case, I'll be dribbling into a sock somewhere. I suspect. Are Are you telling me, Kieran? Uh, we'll leave that image to one side. You dribbling into a sock. Are you telling me, Kieran, that institutional corruption is now seasonally adjusted as well? <laughs> I, 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 I've never accused uh, FIFA of institutional corruption. Well, institutionally corrupt, yes, but yeah, uh, there's, there's a difference. There's a subtle difference. Uh, uh, objection sustained, Your Honour. <laughs> uh, it says here, Kieran, that as always, we are working through all of your questions in turn. That as the World Cup is now upon us, just for this week, we're going to start with a few World Cup questions now. I read that out because it it does say it, and so producer Guy has typed it. But as he is essentially the set blatter of this pod, <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if he's been taking backhanders to get some of these questions through. Um, we will. I, I suspect there will be issues throughout this World Cup that we talk about, but we do have a couple of questions about the World Cup first. Although, given our waiting list, these could be about Russia. To be perfectly honest, but. <laughs> uh, um, the first one, it's not a World Cup special, by the way. We do have other questions, including, I have to say, probably my favourite question ever. Yes, but I, 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 I genuinely can't wait to get to, to, get to it. Um, the first question comes from Richard Cook. Uh, Richard says, we are seeing talk of the bubble starting to burst on the deals for broadcasting rights for the Premier League. But is there any impact on the amount of money FIFA and UEFA are making for the World Cup and European Championships? Are they still making as much money as they used to on the rights for these, or is the price they can sell it for falling? Well, um, Richard, this is interesting. We are seeing talk of the bubble starting to burst, but the numbers don't indicate that that is the case. If we if we go back to 2018-19, which is the uh, our, sort of our benchmark pre-COVID, the the Premier League made uh, £2,456,000,000 from broadcast and central deals. Um, that increased a wee bit uh, in 21-22. But uh, remember, the, the Premier League has also had to give some rebates to, uh, to broadcasters. Um, so, so therefore, those figures have been netted down. So the Premier League is, is still growing. Um, the Scandinavian deal, which is just coming through, I think from next season, is amazing. The, the the rights for the US deal are looking really good. Um, the Chinese deal, which collapsed, um, isn't the, the the one that's replacing it. Isn't as good, but in general, I think we're we're. I wouldn't say the bubbles burst, but I think the we're, we're sort of flatlining or or, got, or growth broadly in line with uh, uh, gross domestic product. Um, so, you know, which, which in this country these days isn't very much. <laughs> um, but um, so, so that's where we are as far as the Premier League is concerned. Now, if we take a look at um, UEFA, what they are pinning their hopes on is 
Um, yeah, we've, we've had this discussion off air, haven't we, Kevin? We said, yeah, the, the thing which is really going to enhance our lives and the lives, I suspect, of most football fans in this country is that after 24-25, we're getting an extra 100 games a season yeah. in the Champions League. And, you know, you know, that's, you know, recession, world war, cost of living crisis. Well, you know, an extra 100 Champions League games. Um, so, so UEFA is very confident that um, it will have uh, significant increases in terms of those rights uh, globally. Um, when it comes to FIFA, they have signed um, multi-tournament deals with broadcasters. So I think they will be they'll be watching what happens in terms of viewing figures in respect of this tournament with uh, with interest of course as always they do because they use these figures to um to negotiate deals with uh, commercial partners for example um and also um you know they they want it to be seen to be a success that you know a winter tournament because yeah, this might not be the last winter tournament that we have. So, so there'll be a lot, lot of attention there. Um, but FIFA um, need uh, decent viewing figures because they lose money three years out of every four, and they're reliant upon the big competitions to, or the big competition to, to effectively to dig them out. Um, there's no indication of the the price being paid by broadcasters to FIFA are going down, and also if FIFA do manage to. Um, improve sort of the the global interest in the the world club championship, uh, either by expanding teams or expanding the rotor. I, I, th- I think that that is a classic polishing a turd uh, experience, uh, as far as, you know, as most fans are concerned. But you never know, uh, you know. But the interest in football is expands. So I, I think we we will see uh, growth, not spectacular, but but solid growth, because whether whether we've got issues with individual uh, awards of particular tournaments, football football sells like no other, and and it's uh, yeah. You know, uh, there's there's not that many other things that generate a physical watching audience at the time that the show is being broadcast, and that is worth a fortune to uh, the broadcasters and to their commercial partners and to advertisers. Uh, if if you think that you know, we said earlier that the the, the Lionesses game uh, in the final this year was was the single uh, you know, highest highest yeah. broadcast figures in the country and, until you know, until the Queen's funeral. Um, so so that, you know live TV still has a potential audience which is huge and football because of the uncertainty because of the jeopardy because it does it it, it does have its own elements of of drama and uh, and, and and so on uh, it still delivers. It didn't deliver this afternoon, Kieran, in terms of jeopardy, drama, or uncertainty. <laughs> um, on a similar theme, Alexando Colazzo asks about the revenue generated by Qatar in the broadcasting deal. Alexander points out that a lot of people uh, are turning away from this year's winter edition and deciding not to watch the matches on mainstream TV. But if they chose to stream the matches illegally instead, how much revenue would be lost and what would be the economic impact on Qatar as a result? Um, I, I don't think there will be a huge impact. I mean, if, if we take a look at uh, Bay in Sports, which has the vast majority of the rights for the MENA, Middle East and North Africa uh, contracts, um, uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar have had a kiss and make up in terms of their dispute. So, uh, Bay in Sports is now uh, getting 
the opportunity to, to broadcast and, and picking up figures, and, and they 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 seem to be doing okay. Um, in in terms of them being a subscription channel, um, I, I did look at some of I think I think in Egypt it was around about ten dollars a month uh, for your subscription for for, for Bay Inn, um, and so it, I I don't think there's that many uh, extra people who are choosing not to watch because they've got some sort of you know, emotional or moral skin in the game. And, and also, um, ultimately, it's FIFA that sells the rights. And FIFA, as, as we mentioned in the previous question, have sold the rights for the World Cup on a three or four tournament deal. So therefore, you know, the broadcasters will probably just have to grin and bear it if, if they don't generate the numbers that they were originally anticipating, uh, e- even if people are going from uh, you know, the, the normal you know, you've got free to air, uh, which won't be affected, or you've got uh, subscription channels, which could be affected. But I think they'll be affected by much broader issues than than what's happening over the next twenty eight days. Yeah, and I suppose if you're going to boycott it and not watch it, it's, it's, you're not going to watch it. You're not going to just boycott the mainstream channels. I, I, I do hope they make enough money. It would be terrible to see Gary Neville not getting paid the amount that he was promised. Um, Ed Ritter has the next question, and Ed Ritter's question is about player insurance. When players go on international duty, does that coverage transfer automatically to the national team? And if so, at what point? Is it when the player reports to national team camp or when they leave the club's training ground? And when does it revert back to the club? Does this change depend on the nation they represent? And are there standard policies sponsored by FIFA for national team duty? Or is each country's FA responsible for buying insurance? Well, um, first of all, FIFA have something called the Club Protection Program, and um, the only the only way that FIFA can uh, have any degree of confidence that players will end up playing in the in the FIFA World Cup in in both the qualifying rounds and the and the finals is if they say to the clubs, if they say to the employers, should your player be injured whilst on international duty in respect of our tournament, um, then we will compensate you for loss of earnings, um, including potential loss of transfer fees if, if the player, for example, had a career-ending injury. Um, so it, it is effectively picked up from what I can make out when they report for duty. I, I, I might be wrong on that, but it's, it's when they turn up at St. George's Park um, uh, in respect of England or or the, or the Welsh headquarters, or you know, in 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 respect of the Brighton players, presumably when when they get on the flight uh, to go to their training camp, uh, you know, uh, following following sort of the the, the end of uh, our our somewhat dismal defeat uh, at home to uh, uh, Aston Villa. So so I, th- I think that's what, when it will start, and in terms of when it will finish, presumably when when the players you know. End or when they they depart the, from the flight um, in in respect of the the end of their tournament, which of course could be before the end of the tournament. Full stop. Yeah, um, Jack Stace has an interesting one. Uh, Jack says every analysis I've seen seems to show that hosting a World Cup is a very bad deal financially for the hosts, and indeed that's something we've talked about quite often recently. The demands of FIFA to keep 100% of the profit from ticket sales and also have their own activities and those of the sponsors tax-free seem totally unreasonable. My question is, do you think the increase of countries with authoritarian governments hosting the World Cup in recent years 
is at least partly due to democratic leaders balking at the raw deal offered by FIFA. I I would say yes, Kieran, were it not for the fact that the next World Cup is in the USA, Canada and Mexico. Yes, uh, having said that, I I think Jack does have uh, a point to a degree. Um, If we take a look at what happened in South Africa in 2010, um, an awful lot of money was spent upgrading stadiums and and there were some new ones built. Um, And there have been protests since the tournament took place um, against the government in in the sense that we've created uh, an an eyesore because the the maintenance costs are too high, this money we would better spend elsewhere. We saw similar in Brazil in 2014 pre the tournament taking place and politicians watch out for these things. So politicians in other countries will be saying, well, um, you know, we don't want to uh, have to, to, to fund this potential loss. Um, and it is becoming increasingly difficult to justify a huge infrastructure spend um, in, in respect of, um, you know, stadiums which are not going to be used. If, if you think about what happened to, to London 2012, um, it, it was a, a great event. Not, I'm not denying that. And I, and I went to some of the, uh, some of the events themselves and I, and I had a fantastic time. But I was also thinking to myself, um, you know, you know put, putting my spreadsheet head on, uh, this, this, this is fun for you know, the four or five nights that are being used uh, in respect of this stadium. What, what is going to happen after that? And, and remember, uh, in, in respect of the, the Olympic Stadium, it, it wasn't actually uh, picked up by West Ham for another five years. Yeah. So it wasn't generating money apart from one or two days a year. Um, the conversion costs into a football stadium were an absolute fortune. That was picked up by the taxpayer. And, and West Ham have, have probably got the deal of the century. The, the reason why West Ham probably could be sold for somewhere in the region of seven or eight hundred million pounds and and uh Newcastle United went for three hundred last year is because it's effectively being subsidized by the taxpayer for the next, I don't know, was it yeah, ninety-nine years, two hundred and fifty yeah. years, however long the lease is. So um I, th- I think governments now are aware that they will be held to account if they commit to a tournament which is going to involve a lot of public spending. This means that the likes of Germany, the likes of England, um, yeah, and, and it looks like it's going to be you know, England and the home nations and the Republic of Ireland uh, are doing the the, you know, the 2028 yeah. uh, uh, UEFA. The fact that we've got USA, Canada and Mexico splitting the costs of the tournament, I think that is perhaps one way that we will see things going forwards because government don't want to be on the hook for the cost of this. If they, if it's going to cost them a fortune. But then you go back to Germany in 2006, fantastic tournament. I was there at an absolute whale of a time. Um, that was the only World Cup that I'm aware of that has made a profit or has actually made a, a net contribution to a country's economy. And the only reason why it did that, and it, and it was a very, very small profit that it made overall, was that everything was already there in Germany. So therefore, they didn't have any extra costs. Yeah, it's quite a lot of speculation this weekend, Kieran, from fairly uh, senior journalists that it'll be a long time before FIFA gives a World Cup to a country that hasn't got a, uh, a, a, a long-standing infrastructure. Well, we'll we'll wait and see. The, the money talks in FIFA, um, so 
Wait and see. Uh, Hugh Roberts has another interesting one. Hugh Roberts says, with the World Cup being staged in the winter this year, will that have an effect on replica kit sales? It's normally in the summer, which would surely lead to a boost in those sales. So will this year see a reverse? Uh, it's a fair point. I mean, Box Park in December is no mm. place to be wearing a short sleeve shirt. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's winter in the Northern Hemisphere, but there are Southern Hemisphere countries that are also attending the competition. So, mm. so they they might be looking at it from a slightly different perspective. Um, certainly, talking to retailers, they say in terms of the the launch of a world of, of a of a, a nation's kit. Launch day itself, you get a big spike in sales, and then leading up to major tournaments, you tend to. But this tournament is different, and this tournament is different not only because it is winter, and therefore, as you rightly say, you know, you think about going to the fan parks, you think about going down the pub in the evenings um, and watching a match down there, and you're all in your your England kit, the Wales kit, you know, whoever's qualified for the tournament. Um, so, so you know, that tends to be quite good uh, from a retailer's point of view, and that's not going to be the same here to to the same extent. But if, if England start to make progress in in the tournament, uh, and you know, and, and we forget we forget all of the non football things which have been the focus building up to the tournament, then then I think we can expect some some broad growth. But one of the interesting things I picked up from from some of the retailers was that they are saying. Normally, from the end of the football season to the start of the tournament, you've got three or four weeks when you can start to get people interested in the national kit. Now, the problem we've got here is that you've got effectively seven to ten days. So, therefore, some of the add-ons in terms of the money they generate, such as the personalisation, you know, we, we didn't know who was going to be in the squad. So, so you know, you know, somebody like James Madison, who was, you know, I think everybody thought, well, he, he could be in or he might not be in. Um, is he going to be in the squad? So he wouldn't get his name put in. And then and the other issue was that the, the, the teams didn't announce the squad numbers. So, you know, name and number tend to go uh, as, as big sales. So, you know, that, that will have delayed some people buying kits. Um, and they're not cheap. You know, the England kit is, you know, it, it's it's 70 notes at a time when everybody's uh, got, got a tight budget. And it's you know, five weeks from Christmas, so you know if, if you're going to buy, you know, if, if if you're a family and you think, well, yeah, you know, the dad, the mum wants to get them, or perhaps the kids want to get them, yeah, you know, that money's coming out of your Christmas budget as well as your food budget, as well as uh, your, your heating and lighting budget, all of which have gone through through the roof as a result of uh, inflation that we have at present. So it will be really hard for the retailers, especially when when they seem to think you know putting up the cost of a kit by a fiver or a tenner uh, a season is is something that uh, we, we will keep on tolerating ad nauseum. Uh, I, I can only apologise, Kieran, for any subconscious Northern Hemispheric bias there. Other hemispheres <laughs> are, of course, available. Uh, our penultimate World Cup question comes from Justin Coeur, uh, Justice says the Canadian men's national team is asking for their World Cup money to be paid out on an after-tax basis. Is this a normal request? Um, now, this this is a, a bit of a strange one, <coughs> especially. Um, I, I think I think this is is unusual in the sense that there are not that many Canadian players 
who are playing outside of Canada. Yeah, we've got yeah. Alfonso Davis playing in, playing in Germany, but the rest of them tend to be domestic. Now, if you take a look, you know, we, we had the uh, we, we had the Ecuador uh, team playing today. Yeah, and can I say again, three, three, three of the Ecuador squad were playing in Brighton, so therefore they're subject to to UK tax rules rather than um, Ecuadorian tax rules. Um, so it, it tends to get a bit messy. Because if you if you've got a squad of twenty six players, which are perhaps coming from seven or eight different countries, then the individual players are paying tax at different rates, and therefore trying to get everybody receiving the same net amount means that you might have to go and you know you have to go and back back out in terms of the calculations, and then you would get some of the players earning more on a gross basis than others, which which intuitively just seems wrong. Um, final World Cup question, Kieran, comes from Matt Greenwood. Uh, Matt says, are clubs expecting the unusual break during the season to have an impact on their finances? I can also envisage clubs trying to organise friendlies for their non-World Cup players to maintain match fitness, but also potentially gain some income. Can you see this happening? Or would FIFA not allow this? Well, Palace are playing Botafogo in a couple of weeks' time, which apparently is a, a must-not-miss game according to the emails we're getting from the club, which means I probably will miss it because I don't like being told that I have to go to a must-not-miss game against Botafogo, <laughs> who happened to be owned by one of our other co-owners, just to prove that I still love Palace during the World Cup. Um, so clearly FIFA can't stop that. But the, the, I think the general question is a very interesting one from Matt. How is it going to have an impact on clubs' finances? Uh, bearing, um, bearing in mind, of course, that it's only Premier League and Championship clubs because the rest of football is continuing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think we will see potentially some winners and losers here. Um, my my biggest concern would be for clubs in the Championship because they are. Yeah, you know, we mentioned. Uh, I think we mentioned in the last show that uh, FIFA. I think the FIFA are paying uh, eight and a half thousand dollars per day compensation per player. Um, so uh, you know, at Brighton, we're, we're probably we, we've got eight players in the World Cup. Uh, Have you? Yeah, we, we make yeah, yeah. Wow. So we're, we're going to rake probably around about two million from from the World Cup in in, in terms of effectively uh, you know, lo- loaning out the players on on this basis. Um, so as far as this is concerned, clubs in the Championship are less likely to have players going overseas uh, for this competition. They're not going to be getting the comp. They're not getting the compensation that. During this period of year, um, they'd be normally expecting to have you know two, perhaps three home games. So, from a cash flow perspective, that there is going to be a downside. What we're also seeing is um, fans thinking, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm watching the World Cup, but it's still the winter. It's still the football season, as uh, far as I'm concerned." So. You know, ne- next next Saturday, me, me and the Baroness, we're going to, to Lewis versus Bowers and Pitsy. And I, I thought Bowers and Pitsy was a franking machine manufacturer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and, yeah, and as a stamp collector, you know, I, I tend to know my, my Bowers quite well. Um, but, you know, we're, we're recording this on Sunday night. Yesterday, uh, not counted, 15,000 yeah, people. Yeah, amazing. Which, was, which, is, which is a record. Now, I, yeah, I know that there were discounted tickets. There was still fifteen thousand people found the, uh, you know, found the time to to go and even a, you know a discount right to, to to go and watch Notts County, and in in true spectacular football style, it was a nil nil draw, which is which is sort of the perfection you expect from 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 events like this. Um, 
In respect of the clubs in the in the Premier League, you, you've said Palace have got, got this fixture. Um, uh, Everton fans had the opportunity at 5am on Sunday morning of watching their team play a match against Celtic, um, logically, in Sydney um, for some sort of Sydney Cup competition. So they will have picked up money from that. Um, that was also a nil-nil draw, by all accounts. Uh, thank you, Neil Mopay, uh, for uh, uh, finishing in in the way that we, we expect Neil Mopay to to finish, by all accounts. Um, so, so clubs are trying to be innovative, um, and they they will try to pick up some some extra money if they've got enough of a squad left to uh, to warrant. Uh, being able to to put out a team uh, and get get some opponents, but but th- there will be cash flow implications. But in in the non league, I, I think uh, yeah, I think you know, talking to to, yeah, to all I can say is yeah, from the relatively small pool of people that I know, uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, we'll, we'll go down and we'll watch some non league because you you can have a drink there, you you can have a chat chat there, and and if, if and the great thing is you leave the ground, and if if your local team has lost. You don't go home and, and sulk for twenty four hours like like we grown men do for our teams. Oh, I, I think there are some fans of non league clubs who are as childish as we are, Kieran. Um, have you have you lied to the Baroness about the corporate facilities available at Lewis? Um, yeah, I've been a bit yeah a bit ambivalent. Yeah, uh, yes, I said that they have got hospitality. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a bloke saying hello when you walk in. Um, where do you, <laughs> where do you get time to collect stamps, Kieran? I, I, I've got no friends. Uh, well, you know, I always say, Kieran, philately will get you nowhere. <laughs> you're, you're, you're very, you're very welcome. Welcome to another round of boardroom or Miro board. Today we talk retrospectives with agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Producer guys very helpfully labelled these last four questions non-World Cup questions. 
which is very handy in case people started to worry what group Tramia we were in. Um, uh, and the first question comes from Ross Lawrence uh, about Tranmere. Obviously, Ross Lawrence says Mark Palios has regularly talked about his intention to move away from Prenton Park. I'm not sure how much money selling the land in Birkenhead would benefit the club financially, but I think the suggestion is moving to a smaller new build with more corporate facilities that could lower cost and boost income. Bearing in mind we have an ageing stadium, which is regularly around a third fall, and all the costs that go alongside this, could he be right? Now, Mark Palios is somebody who regularly sits at the top of your good stairs, Kieran, so I suspect that you probably think this is a decent idea. Yeah. Now, for the sake of transparency, um, we're recording this on Sunday night. Um, on Monday night, I'm actually going to be up in Birkenhead doing a talk with Mark Palios. Oh. Um, it's called Football, Finance and Morality, and it's taking place in between the England versus Iran game and the uh, Wales versus USA game. So I just uh, so so I, I have met Mark. I've, I've spoken to him up. In fact, we've had Mark on the show. Indeed. Um, if if there's one person that I would guarantee knows the value of putting together a budget, uh, a financial plan, it's Mark Palios. Uh, he was head of PricewaterhouseCoopers in terms of their insolvency division. Um, he's seen exactly what goes wrong when when companies don't build up the strength in the balance sheet and they and they don't try to generate future income streams so uh, i can assure i can assure you ross that, that mark has done the sums here and he will be looking for something which is um for the long long term benefit of of Tranmere Rovers, and yes, that that will include uh, if you know if if it can be generated a a greater proportion of income coming from the corporate sector because they're willing to pay bigger prices. Um, you know, they 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 will pay pay for the privileges, and, and I know uh, you know Mark's ambition is is to get Tranmere into the championship, and in order to do that, you you need funds and and you need um, a a sustainable. Uh, project, which which I think is where he's going uh, in respect of this. Now, our next question, Kieran, comes from Jared Grit. Um, it's a subject we have talked about in general in the last couple of weeks, but as this one is very specific, I thought it was um, best to ask it because it, it does raise a couple of issues. Uh, Jared Grit says, I was watching the WSL match between Arsenal and Spurs last season and noticed that Spurs had a sponsor on their front, AIA, on their arm, Cinch, and also on the back, Herbalife. They have Take a Stand as well between the crest and the Nike logos. Now, as Take a Stand is a charity, I would assume this is legit and doesn't make Spurs any money, but how much extra income will the back of shirt sponsor bring in? And since it's allowed in the WSL, are there plans to allow it in the EFL and the Premier League? If so, how lucrative will this be for men's teams? I believe, Kieran, it is already allowed in the EFL. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I think some clubs have have started that. Um, in, in respect of of Spurs, Jared, um, last season Spurs total commercial income. So this will be from perimeter advertising, front of shirt deal, back of shirt deal, arm deal was three hundred and fifty grand. So you know that that's a week's pay for a you know yeah. probably their best paid player. Um, so it's the va- the vast majority of that would go on on the on the front and arm deals. So I, I think we're probably talking perhaps a a five figure number. I, it would certainly be. I I, was, I cannot see it being a hundred grand or even anywhere near that. Um, 
because if they're making 350 you know, what do you normally see in respect to players? You you focus upon the front of shirt deal, um, which of course will have been linked to um, the 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 men's team as well, um, and it, it's it, it's not lucrative, but uh, you know I, I think the the WSL teams are trying to be as innovative as as they can, and also <clears throat> there are brands that want to associate themselves with the women's game that, that don't necessarily want to associate themselves as, as closely with the men's game. Um, and that's that's going to be the way forwards uh, in, in respect of WSL um, sponsorship income. But but the numbers, the numbers aren't great. And I have to be perfectly brutal here. The numbers aren't great because the attendances are, are still modest unless it's Spurs versus Arsenal. Yeah. Um and uh the, the TV coverage in terms of the viewing figures again modest and that's that's what sponsors want. Spons- sponsors don't love the team, sponsors love the fans eyeballs. Yeah. That so 350,000 pounds is what the women's team get in total sponsorship wise. Yep. How does that compare to the men's team? Um, the men's team is for Spurs. I think it's around about seventy or eighty million. Wow! Holy mother! Um, Will O'Neill has our penultimate question, and Will, I like this question. It's not my favourite of all time. That's coming up. Uh, Will O'Neill <laughs> says, after my club Wigan won League One last season, our chairman Talal Al Hamad sent the lads to Vegas for an end of season trip. Would this trip have affected the club accounts and FFP, or would it have been paid for by the chairman from his own pocket as a gift to each player? Well, um, it, it could be either of these. Um, if the players were sent to Vegas, then that could have been a benefiting kind, oh. and therefore it could have been a taxable issue, which would have not been perhaps as good from, from clearly from the player's perspective. I I remember um, being uh, asked to go to, uh, I think, yeah, it was, I think it was Vegas actually, um, to, to give a talk on the latest, what the latest, what was happening in, in creative accounting for um, a financial institution. I, I won't, I won't go any into any more depth than that. And, um, I go. Well, why do you want me there? Yeah, why? Why can't I just do it? You know, why can't I just go to your 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 headquarters in London? So, oh, oh well. Um, you know, we we, we thought we, a change of venue would be good. So, so I, I go across. You know, with all my dweeby stuff, um, and, and I meet all of these finance people, and you know, they 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 do what you do in Vegas. So, you know, they they were. I think it was. I think partying uh, does covers covers all umbre- umbrellas all activities there and and then I'd go and give this talk at 10 a.m and I think there was about 80 to 100 of them had come on the trip uh three turned up to me talking um one of them left after about 10 minutes to be violently ill um and and I just carried on talking okay and, and, and I and I spoke to I spoke to HR I said why is this organized they say well well if, if you turn up Kieran and give them this talk this is deemed as a training exercise and therefore it isn't taxable from their point of view and it's not tax and it is tax deductible from our point of view so um you know they all they all uh, did very well out of it and uh, uh you know I, I i spoke to an uh, an, an empty class of which yeah you know, something that i am quite familiar with uh you know be, having 
having taught in a in a higher education institute whereby you know, if, if you look at your timetable if, if you've got a nine o'clock if you've got a 9 a.m monday lecture you 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 mentally write it off in terms of the the uh, the level of engagement that you're going to get i i spent the last two minutes of that question here mentally casting the film that needs to be made about that trip <laughs> i've got i've got de niro down as the guy in vegas but I can't decide whether you should be played by Bill Nye. It's probably too old, or Martin Freeman is probably too short. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll throw that out to our listeners. And, and here's our Steve, five- Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan would do it. He, he, he would do probably. Yeah, he, he, the sort of arty film project he he would like. Yeah, he's <laughs> currently playing Jimmy Savile. I'm not entirely sure that's the best move PR wise, but there we go. Uh, I like Steve. He's, I used to do a lot of stuff with Steve in the. In the old days, uh, on a show that I can't name, but which I will see your trip to Vegas and raise it uh, <laughs> <laughs> by this late live show on Channel Four back in the day. Uh, ben Connor has a question that I've been really looking forward to asking. <laughs> one of those every now and again, the script comes through and you read it, you go, "Yeah, good, that's interesting." Oh yeah, and in this one, I just I can't wait. I wanted to do the pod that day just so I could read Ben Connor's question out. Ben says, I saw a tweet recently that suggested Pascal Gross was actually worth his weight in gold as Brighton paid £2.5 for him when he signed for the club. He weighs around 78 kilos and the price for the same amount of gold is just over £2.5 Now, reading this tweet has made me wonder, where would footballers rank in terms of their value by weight compared to other commodities? For example, would an average Premier League player's value be closer to diamonds or platinum? And then if we move down into Championship League 1 and League 2, would we be talking gold, silver, or even saffron? And finally, with the inflation of transfer fees outperforming that of most commodities, will we ever get to a point where footballers are, by weight, the most expensive product on earth? I I just had this image of a really grumpy Harry Kane sitting on one set of scales while you piled saffron on the other set of scales to see where... (laughs) where Harry Kane came. There must be some sort of market commodity exchange somewhere where you can trade Harry Kane against gold and platinum, surely. Well, well, if, if there isn't, I suspect already there's an NFT being created <laughs> as somebody's listening to the show. Um, this, this, is, this is an absolute cracker, Ben. Um, I, I went to the uh, most expensive transfer in the history of football, which is the transfer of Neymar um, from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. And um, that works out as £2,941 per gram. <laughs> Now, um, I, 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 I'm, yeah, as you know, I, 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 I live quite a, a, a strange life, um, and uh, I, I don't consume things by the gram. You know, I, I don't do alcohol, I don't do tobacco, I don't do anything of, uh, uh, apart from Marmite. Um, it's, uh, so where, where do we stand? Well, in terms of, um, in terms of saffron, saffron is, is £7 a gram. So, you know, we're not talking Neymar League. So I, I went through all of the list of products. You get back to this. I, I love Ben because I've never had so much fun researching an individual <laughs> question. Um, and uh, the the nearest thing that we can find to the value of Neymar presently is plutonium, <laughs> so which is the stuff which is used to uh, go in nuclear reactors. 
Um, so that is uh, £2,640 per gram. If we want to go, I think we're a long way. We're a long way from diamonds. Diamonds are £42,900 per gram. So, so uh, 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 Neymar is worth around about one-tenth of his value in diamonds. You be careful with that, Marmite, Kieran, because it's, as everyone knows, it's a gateway spread. You'll be... <laughs> You'll be on the you'll be on the Dairy Lee before you know it. Um, <laughs> thank you for that question, Ben. It made me laugh a lot, uh, and yes, I, I loved it, it. it. It's just the fact that I knew that Kieran would go and research it as well, which is why well, everyone any any other pod, any other non award winning pod uh, like us would have just gone. That's a funny question. Thank you, but I knew you'd go away and research it. Well done. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of you. And if you'd like to join in that kindness and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with a usual news pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Oh, thank you for everybody at Patreon for uh, for helping uh, helping us. Uh, we, we really do appreciate it. Um, if you want to show some uh, groovy vibes towards the price of football in another way, which which will cost you nothing apart from a few seconds of your time, if you go onto your uh, application that you use to download <laughs> your podcast, and if you could give us a review, if you could uh, give us five stars, it helps us in the charts in in algorithmic ways that uh, producer guy patiently explains to us but we just we just nod and then look at each other well we didn't understand that um and it it doesn't matter what you say in the narrative so you could even say that you could you would rather have the show presented by mick hucknell and janny infantino because they could could compare notes on being bullied for being redheads and and yeah, you know, I'd listen to that. I, th- I think it'd be a- an interesting show. I I I used to work with uh, with somebody uh, who was in the frantic elevators with Mick Hucknell, and he told me dozens of stories, um, none of which uh, none of which can be repeated on 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 broadcast radio. Um, and uh, they do appear to indicate that that Mick Hucknell didn't seem to suffer that much uh, in terms of, of having red hair. I I can tell you from first hand experience, Kieran, that being short. Uh, and Ginger does not hold Mick Hucknell back from <laughs> all sorts of things. Um, also, Kieran, groovy vibes. How much marmite have you had today? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the fall.